0: for
1: you. Across
2: the multiverse, we collide. It's extraterrestrial, our love. Across the multiverse,
3: you and I.
4: Across the multiverse by Dent May featuring Frankie Cosmos. Um, I I love a good duet. Yeah, lounge uh, lounge worthy. Yeah, sort of lounge pop. Uh, I don't know. It appealed to me, and uh, usually I make people listen to weird shit. So um, I thought. Let's go to something that I think is normal, even though probably Everdale still thinks it's weird. Paul,
3: does that make you want to put on a leisure suit or uh, silk pajamas? Uh,
4: hmm, I think I have to go with what Dent May actually wears, which is like thrift store tuxedos. Oh, that's um,
3: nice. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's from Mississippi. Uh,
4: fancy, f- fancy for 40 years ago yeah. is the
3: way to do it. Well, he's from Mississippi, so it's southern, southern charm.
4: There you go. Um, he's got a... He's got a bunch of palm trees on the
3: album cover. I think he moved to LA. He did. Uh, that's what, so the description of the album says. Ah. Um, but ac- Joe. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, Across the Multiverse is a great title for an album. Yeah. Absolutely.
4: Um, really, that's this guy has some clever lyrics, so uh, uh, it fits. Uh, props to him.
3: Yeah. Um, Joe, we got, we got fan mail. We did. We sure did. Uh, this uh, uh, segment is dedicated to Jim from Minneapolis, who yeah. he wrote us a, uh, a six or seven paragraph uh, thoughtful <laughs> fan piece of fan mail, responded to several of our podcasts. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, it feels great. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about
4: a real OG. He's a, He's a 67-year-old dude who volunteers at a non music club, um, which is uh, cool as hell. Yeah. And his email really hits the perfect note of, like, um, uh, sort of, like, uh, just too old to give a shit about your feelings straight shooting about music. Um, so uh, he really responded well to our, um, on the positive side, our discussion about the Talking Heads down samples, mm. um, and on the negative side, he very much enjoyed um, our insightful talk about the recent Arcade and Fire record. Uh, yeah.
3: He, <laughs> he had some insight there. Yeah. Uh, which... yeah.
4: First of all, him calling them, now they're just another band I don't like anymore, is just like such a cold own. Yes. I really enjoyed that. Yes, brutal. <laughs> Um, but yeah, give us his uh, his theory about what happened to the Arcade Fire. Joe. Well, he
3: says that some of the blame goes to James Murphy, uh, and then that LCD Sound System toured with Arcade Fire, um, uh, and he thinks that Win fell under James's spell and tried to make more danceable music without a lot of success, uh, and then he he includes another just. Uh, you know, five, five alarm burn, uh, it says, I am a terrible dancer and I bet win is not much better.
4: <laughs> you see, this is like, this is like how I want to be when I'm in my sixties. This yes. guy is hilarious.
3: Yes. Um, Uh-oh. I love, and I love this theory. I mean, I think rock stars are. As susceptible as we are to this feeling that being a rock star would be so cool and like easy once you made it, like I think uh-huh. rock stars look at look at the other rock stars who seem to get by on like an even higher plane of just being cool and uh, you know and intelligence and attitude and and they yeah. they they, they want to be like that Uh uh-huh yeah no absolutely
4: um and James Murphy is clearly like one of the coolest people in the world like I am uh probably 85% as much of a fan of LCD sound system as like most indie heads like I like them but I'm not uh I'm not I wasn't super upset when they broke up and I'm not super hyped that they're getting back together it's there's more good LCD sound system music I'm happy for that yeah um so uh but, um, man, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So, like what you were saying, um, uh, clearly, whatever you think of their music, James Murphy is uh, living the dream life. Like, that dude kicks ass yeah. uh, as a person. And uh, it's easy to imagine um, sort of a, a semi-angry, semi-nerd like Win Butler uh, <laughs> wanting to be like James
3: Murphy. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe that is what happened. James Murphy, <laughs> he seems like the kind of guy you go to a party and you meet him and you're like this guy's so cool. And I'm like, not even mad. Cause he seems like really nice. Yeah. He like talked to me for like 20 minutes and like, you know, yep. told me a funny he story. Just started,
4: yeah. He started telling me about awesome stories from the nineties in New York or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, and I, I laughed my ass off and he was just happy that I was laughing and that was
3: great. And that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what he does in his songs. He just stands on stage yeah. and tells like kind of funny stories from the nineties. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I was there. Um,
3: it's, yeah. So I love this theory. I love the theory that you know, Win Butler was like, saw that as like, I've, I I want to be that cool.
4: So how does this work though with the fact that you didn't like The Arcade Fire and then they tried to be like a band that you do like and then they became worse? Or maybe that's just what happens when people imitate other people. Yeah, they failed. They, yeah. They, <laughs> so, you know.
3: There's no mystery. You're right. No, no. I mean trying to. Um that's like it's sort of the internal thing where like every, every band is like this is our kid a and it's like nope you failed <laughs> you did <laughs> you did not successfully pivot to uh you know deeply emotionally resonant electronica
4: yeah <laughs> um yeah so anyway thank you Jim that was a fantastic letter uh also uh thank you for being willing to give Radiohead another shot just because we like Radiohead so much. Um uh like my dad is almost Jim's age and I have no expectation that he would ever condescend to like Radiohead. Um so uh uh it's pretty cool that James has that open of mind. And for all the other listeners out there, the lesson here is if you want to hear us um be unfunny about your email uh please send it to us because we will absolutely we're absolutely at the fan level where you can get your shit on the air by yes, getting us. Yes. We up. are not popular yet. This is like <laughs> we're still at the point where
3: there's like 12 people at our concert and we're going to like bring three of them up on stage.
4: Yeah, and so later, you know, this is this is you know, uh, buy a lot of lottery tickets for things that aren't popular yet because, you know, you could, you know, go to a thousand shows for uh, bands that aren't popular or listen to a bunch of podcasts that aren't popular or whatever. And then if just one hits, you get the chance to say, yo, I was there like James Murphy. Um, so make us put us in your portfolio of those lottery tickets is all I'm asking.
3: Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, what What's our payout? If-
4: uh what are the, oh, <laughs> the payout for us is that we get to live in the thrilling internet content generation industry. There we go. Uh, truly man's finest endeavor. <laughs> that, that,
3: no, I mean, that would be great if you scratched off the lottery ticket and like the prize, you got three, um, like you get to produce great contents. And so you're like, yeah. yes, I get to produce that, great content.
4: Yeah, yeah. No, it just says like internet Vox.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that feels too real. Um, uh, thank you, Jim. Uh,
4: please keep listening. Absolutely, uh, you're the best.
1: Yes, yes, and so you don't stop. Cool ID, best rapper. You don't stop. Another fucking hundred fucking dollar freestyle for you and your mom. Come on, yeah. You can never define anything, but define love. I'm a savage beast, <laughs> slightly above average at least. Nah, preference is relative references consistently uh bring you to another vicinity. I hit you with the riddles consistently. Dead in the middle a little tripple little did we know that we triggered a a the fether in the metaphysical.
3: And welcome to Savage Beast. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher uh and with me as always uh chewing on some leftover reindeer dick. It's Paul Maclaud.
4: <laughs> Joe they smoke the reindeer dick uh which makes it just premium succulents wow. all throughout the shaft
3: so they, they um, you know you mean they smoke it like they put it in a smoker not that they roll it up and smoke <laughs> it
4: no they smoke it like fellatio um, <laughs> uh, um there you go <laughs> i'm doing the, anyway I'm doing the blinking man
3: you know gif
4: uh i don't know which GIF that is uh <laughs> everyone I'm else sure but I've seen you it. does yeah i'm sure i've seen it anyway uh yeah i was uh out of the out of the country in Norway last week, which means this is a short episode. As we discuss two hot singles uh, that would have been hotter had we recorded this
3: two nights ago, like we originally intended. But uh, here we yeah. are. Yeah, uh, like uh, the beautiful total solar eclipse we saw. We are passing mm. only briefly in front of your eyes this time. <laughs> uh, well done, um, Paul, Can I, Joe? What's our? F- can I? Oh, can I ahead. ask you what song? For your next total solar eclipse, what song are you going to have playing?
4: See, this is actually a good point. For my first one, it was good enough to just be like sort of losing my shit and yelping. Yeah. Um, Which is what everybody else was doing. For my next one, um, bringing a big-ass sound system out into the wilderness and um, just blaring something rad uh, is probably the way to go. Um. Uh, dark Side of the Moon is probably too obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, uh, hmm, I'd have to think about that. Off the top of my head, um, it's got to be exuberant and also um, existential, you know? So something like Thus Spake Zarathustra, the, the overture uh, thing from that, yeah. is along the right lines. But again, probably
3: too obvious. Um, uh, yeah, so, so something like... You know like, what I'm thinking, though. You know jesu, jesu some, joy of man's desiring or something like yeah that, you know or maybe
4: some sigarose if we want to be more indie uh along our our our, our current themes actually um, yeah that
3: oh yeah Ross would be awesome right when like the kind of choral part of olsen olsen hits which is yes yeah. oh yeah, yeah just right <laughs> and you and what we need to do is go to iceland it needs to happen in iceland and Ross needs to be actually playing
4: I mean, what are the odds of a total solar eclipse happening on Iceland, a tiny island in the middle of nowhere? Okay, pretty small.
3: <laughs> I could also, um, I could also see we get. We should like hire a concert pianist, a pianist to play a Moonlight Sonata.
4: That would be pretty good. Yeah. That would be pretty good. Um, um, okay. Or ah, oh, shit. Anyway, yes. yes.
3: Um, Great question. Yeah.
4: What's our first single, Joe?
3: Um, so we are uh, listening to two singles tonight, and the first is uh, Taylor Swift's Look What You Made Me Do.
0: I don't like your little games. Don't like your tilted stage. The role You made me play the fool. No, I don't like you. I don't like your perfect crime. How you laugh when you lie. You said the gun was mine. Isn't cool. No, I don't like you. But I got smarter, I got harder. Once, then I check it twice. Oh. oh, look what you made me do! Look what you made me do! Look what you just made me do! Look what you just made me! Oh, look what you made me do! Look what you made me do! Look what you just made me do! Look what you just made me do. I, I don't, don't like your kingdom.
3: Ooh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. From one tailor to another, we're going to do yeah. something uh, a little unorthodox. Uh, our friend uh, Taylor, uh, the big T-bone steak uh, man, I, <laughs> that, that was good. Um, uh, one
4: of one of two two-time guests on the pod. Yes, uh, like fan
3: favorite Taylor. Yes, uh, will be. Um, Uh, was going to uh, drop his hot take on this track in the group chat Um, Uh but we said no record it and we'll play it live on air so we're going to start off with Taylor's hopefully smoking hot reindeer dick fresh take on (laughs) look what you made me do
5: so I've really been trying to crystallize why I don't like the new Taylor Swift song, Um, and I'm trying to divorce it from the fact that I saw the music video first, so I saw the music and the images, and the images to me were so repellent, so narcissistic, so self-serving, that it just immediately turned me off to the song, but Joe told me, listen again, with good headphones, which I did. I've now listened to it a few times, and then I also wanted to listen to two other Taylor Swift songs that I liked to see what made it different. I listened to Shake It Off, which is silly fun. It's also narcissistic, but it it is fun, it's catchy, and it, it can become an anthem. And then Bad Blood, which I think is technically a worse song, but it's still fun, it's got a good hook, and you can easily make it also about yourself, and I guess that's the thing. This song. It is only about Taylor Swift, about Taylor Swift, being Taylor Swift, how dare you wrong Taylor Swift. And it just circles and circles the navel-gazing into oblivion. Um, On top of that, if you think about it, there's no progression, right? I mean, in Shake It Off, she's like, the haters are gonna hate, so I'm gonna do what I want. And Bad Blood is like, yeah, don't tell me what to do. Now I'm gonna come get you. And this one, it's like, look what you made me do because you're on my list. So it's all about don't tell me what to do and I'm gonna kill you. Um, and also look what you made me do. So what did she do? I mean at least in Bad Blood the whole point is like we have problems and now I'm gonna get you But with this one, it's just like oh look what I did. What did she do? She doesn't do anything I will say I like the first half of the chorus. That's um, something that got lost on the video But the you know, I got harder. I got smarter. That's got a good progression It's got a good hook, but then the actual chorus is so flat and I mean writing wise and vocal inflection wise the look what you made me do and obviously, you know, look she's a gazillionaire she knows more about music producing than I do, but it just does nothing for me. And then when I come back to the images, I feel like the images feed the song, which is that there is nothing for Taylor Swift but Taylor Swift. And you compare that to other pop artists like Lord, who I feel like open themselves up more, they actually show vulnerability. And maybe the whole point with Taylor Swift is that there is no vulnerability, just armor, but it has zero appeal for me.
3: Wow. Wow. <laughs> a uh, well considered uh carefully yeah. thought out uh evisceration of, yeah
4: i uh, wanted swift i wanted i wanted a little bit more uh, uh fire and brimstone but um i also help felt like uh maybe we should have taylor on to talk about the pop music of the day in the future because yes. uh taylor is very good at talking about um sort of like popular cultural ephemera like this
3: yeah Uh, Paul, do you think uh, that this podcast uh, could be said to have a real problem with Taylor on Taylor crime? (laughs)
4: Um, Obviously, at this point, uh, it's the only problem we might have. So, yes. um, yes. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, Joe, I have to say um, uh, I would maybe refine some of Taylor's points, but by and large, I kind of agree with him. Now, I think maybe you disagree with us. Give us your take.
3: Yeah, sure. I'm happy to give my take on this song. Um, I think that it's. I do like it. I really like it. Uh, I don't uh-huh. want to. I feel like I have to engage a little bit of hyperbole because so many people dislike it. So that uh-huh. might distort like the level to which I, you know, uh, yeah, I may uh, really go a bit overboard. But you're gonna
4: be, you're gonna be a little a little chivalrous in your defense of of poor
3: taylor here absolutely um (laughs) Um, you know i defend taylor's everywhere um uh it's so i mean i think that look what you made me do i think it's a badass jam i think the bass is unrelenting throughout uh i -hmm. think her voice is in character and in a different character than in her other songs um Mm -hmm. i like that she doesn't give a fuck um i i don't know that's i don't want anything else from a pop singer um I want that level of complexity, uh, you know, paired with, you know, very, you know, the absolute, like, kind of bleeding edge of production, like, exactly the sounds that are, like, hottest Mm -hmm. right now. Um, This song, I think, has this combination of, like, maybe the more minimalist elements of hip-hop combined with, um, I don't want to call, you know, I don't know the names of the different kinds of house you know in techno so electro
4: clash is the the label applied to things like this so okay uh, yes if you think about peaches back in the day
3: or uh, who else was electro clash yeah peaches has come up in comparison to this and i I think it's it's yeah it's a a more modern version of that um side note the name of the famous peaches song fuck the pain away is probably Uh top five song names ever oh total classic yeah um Uh, And I want to say, also want to apologize to Peaches. I feel like I heard that song first in a context that was making fun of it a little. Mm. I think in Lost in Translation, one of my favorite movies of all time. And now I realize that it was really celebrating, like, what a fucking great song it is. Anyway, but that's sort of relevant here. I mean, I think that Mm -hmm. this song falls in that category of, like, you look at its most uh, ridiculous elements and you kind of base your assessment on that. Instead of the fact that it's an incredibly catchy song, it's got this chorus that's only one sentence. I think you know, I feel like it's only like two instruments and in Pro Tools or in the drum machine mm-hmm. under it, um, and it like it gets stuck in your head immediately. You know, you want to listen to the song three times in a row. Like it's just sort of natural to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of little touches in it. There's like this playful. I uh, want to tell it's like a playful cat noise in the second verse <laughs> and it kind of returns on the last chorus. Um, yeah. Uh, that little warbling sound. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I think even when I get to the answering machine thing, I'm like, this is funny as fuck. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it's on the dance. You know, I, I think when you're listening to it in the context of like watching it on a screen, you're like, it's a little corny, but like, I think when you're on a yeah. dance floor, that's yeah. like fun to si- you know, that's like kind of fun to sing along to. And then you get right back into dancing. Like, I, yeah. I like that. So, okay. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, I have a few more things, but I'll, that's sort of my, those, there's my main, part.
4: your main defense of the yeah. song. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll agree with you about the bass. Uh, Jack Antonoff, the songs, uh, producer and writer knows where the proper frequency for a bass drum is. Um, Uh, victory for fun dot i guess um but um uh i gotta disagree with you and agree with taylor that the chorus uh vocal line just doesn't really take off for me at all Mm. um maybe it would if taylor swift could sing but it's been well established for a decade plus that taylor swift cannot sing totally Um, fair totally fair (laughs) um and like if you compare like I, you know, when we're talking about sort of, uh, uh, earworm pop, which is what Taylor Swift trades in, um, uh, pure, just like, uh, ability to worm into your head is, is everything. And comparing this to, as Taylor brought up, uh, shake it off. Or as I would bring up, like, uh, we are never, ever getting back together. Like this is just not even close to me. Mm. Um, uh, I I find it actually uh, when they first drop into the chorus after the pre-chorus and it's just so spare and like you said it's just the two moment the two instruments like that um, that is effective that transition mm-hmm. but then after that it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really do anything else um, so uh, <laughs> I do think it's funny that the video made Taylor so mad I would describe it less as a narcissistic uh, self celebration and more as just um uh a series of as far as i can tell disconnected tableau thrown together because they all looked expensive all um music videos
3: besides kendrick lamar's suck now basically yeah
4: well and that's why i don't watch them yeah. and maybe that's why i, li- yeah, I literally like kind of refuse
3: to watch them
4: yeah i just don't care about yeah. them um but uh
3: beyonce, beyonce too I, I did watch the beyonce movie Eliminated.
4: yeah oh really i never watched it yeah. i bet it's good yeah um uh so yeah and then on top of that i mean so people have been talking about like oh my god taylor swift is still obsessed with the kanye west thing but uh i think they're making the classic mistake when interpreting taylor swift of assuming that the sort of tabloidy uh backstories she hints at in outside of the music uh, are actually what's driving the music when clearly she's just doing what every other pop and country and, and dance uh, songwriter is doing and writing sort of generic lyrics that fit uh, a standard scenario that the listener might find him or herself in. Um, so if you think about, say, Stronger by, uh, what's her fucking face from American Idol, Kelly Clarkson, mm. um, like, that's a song that anybody can listen to and think about a time when they overcame somebody being a bitch to them. Um, and this is a song that anybody can listen to and think about a time when they decided to get revenge on somebody who was mean to them. Um, and uh, you're making a mistake. Like, you, if, you, if you take out the name Taylor Swift on the top, you would have no idea that it might theoretically have something to do with uh, some dude who was kind of a dick True. at an awards show for some reason a way, long time ago way too much focus on the
3: context <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly a lot of the takes on it um, exactly
4: and the same thing with like people trying to figure out like which ex-boyfriend taylor is talking about in her other songs like she's not talking about any of them she's just writing a song
3: that will make you think that um, yeah it's like i mean people don't understand that i mean i feel like people forget that you could like make art influenced by your experiences without making it explicitly autobiographical autobiographical 100 percent of the time
4: Right. And at the same time, you can also make it uh, too generic, which is, I think, what is generally going on with pop. I mean, some yes. pop is obviously sublimely able to, uh, to fit everybody's life. But, uh, I mean, so the counterexample, I was trying to think of, okay, so what's a counterexample for me? And, like, early Death Cab for Cutie, like the song uh, uh, title track that we were listening to mm-hmm. on a previous episode, mm-hmm. is like... Yeah. It's it's not important whether or not that is autobiographical to Ben Gibbard when you're listening to it, but it's a very specific and non-generic uh, scene being set for you. Yeah, you re- at the same time
3: you relate to as a, a set of complex emotions for which you
4: couldn't yeah. couldn't really put
3: like a, a broad term to. You, yeah, you
4: need, and often yeah. tied to concrete imagery. Yeah, um, that's really important. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Taylor Swift is not trying to do what Ben Gibbard is doing, and I don't blame her for being a pop star. Yeah. Uh, but um, she's it, probably
3: slept with Ben Gibbard. It's cruel. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, he's gotten Zoe Deschanel, so he's just one forever, I guess. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so my take is uh, not catchy enough to be as good as classic Taylor Swift. Um, and, uh, that's actually most of it.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Um, um, I have a response, but first I, I do want to say that Kelly Clark's, that Kelly Clarkson's Since You've Been Gone is, that's, that's one of my jams.
4: Oh, classic pop song. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, and you know, same situation. It's a, it's a, I'm getting over a breakup song that anybody could relate to, but it, uh, it fucking rocks. So I've got no problem with it. Um,
3: yeah, so, I mean, I think that I, I you know, definitely have, a, it's impossible to divorce this from the context. I mean, Taylor Swift is not, like, you know, pulling, like, I don't want to be a pop star anymore bullshit. Like, obviously, like, any song she releases, she knows it's going to be part of the overall discussion of one of the, I don't know, most... 20 most well-known people in the English-speaking world. Maybe the entire... I don't know. I don't know where she ranks, but it's very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that she... Or rather, like, listening to it... I, I mean, I agree with you. It's, yeah. it's dumb to focus too much on that context or to read too much into it. And I think that maybe... When I'm comparing it to her older songs, I mean, Mm -hmm. I I disagree that she has these classic pop songs in her catalog that are just so good. I mean, maybe that's one of my problems with her before Mm. is that like I feel like she's maybe a little more thoughtful and talented artist who has been making really thin songs that really are neither challenging in their kind of composition nor their um you know uh lyrical ambition and that this is at least a you know a, a, a halfway jump towards that towards something that's more than you know uh blank space it's the name of that Hmm. song right like i mean you know i think that's the thing i like i think there's a lot of um i just think that old taylor swift is worse like i have kind of a low opinion of a lot of it even though i own 1989 like that's sort of the thing like i like her general approach to music and i feel like she needed to do more and i feel like that's here Um, i see and then i think when i'm looking to compare it to something like i just rocked you know my Britney jam, which is "I'm a Slave for You." Uh-huh. Uh, Neptune's, of course. You know, I yeah. think we've discussed how uh, uh, how how uh, good that that uh, that beat is.
4: Yeah, that was one of my like cheating songs on the basic uh, songs podcast. Yes, like it's yes, too yes. good for that podcast.
3: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, which oh, still awesome, but like, I, yeah. I, I it was not to this level, I mean, this song, like, uh, um, Look What You Made Me Do was more interesting. Maybe that's because I've heard the Britney songs really? a few times. But I thought, Look What You Made Me See, Do I- had had just something else to it. Like, I'm a Slave For You, really well-produced song, but, and, and, and he doesn't have that extra, like, kind of, you know, at least coat of, challenging uh you know composition on it and i mean that's that's i think a lot of people don't like this song as much because it's it's not as good a pop song and it's a more interesting song but still dominate the dance floor
4: okay it would dominate the dance floor i just don't think this song is as interesting as you do musically um i think i'm a slave for you is a much more interesting song musically Uh, to me this is like it has a good beat and but the the sort of extra production flourishes feel like um, they're not bad, but they're they're sort of like uh, a little standard. I don't know. They're, they don't impress yeah. me that much um, okay. <laughs> to to refer to I mean, another yeah. pop star gone dance. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, she is my least uh, favorite I guess
3: pop star and that that is my least favorite pop song. Like oh really?
4: I that. don't mind Shania Twain. Yes. So, uh, see, she and Britney and Kelly Clarkson and Taylor Swift are all in the same category to me of just like pop stars where I like maybe three of their songs, and I really like those songs, right. and otherwise I just don't really care. Right. And so for me, like, uh, old Taylor Swift, like we like we are never ever getting back together. I fucking love the chorus to that song. That that's catchy as shit to me. Yeah, uh, sh- "Shake It Off" also approaches that. Um, so, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean the bridge
3: of like blank space is is one of my favorite pop pop song moments.
4: Yeah, no, and that's totally fair. Yeah. I guess I just I never expected. Taylor Swift to be much more than that, and this to me is just, like, a less catchy version of Taylor Swift, so
3: there we have it. Okay, (laughs) Uh, it's an expectations game, um, and I think we're both, like, kind of just, uh, we both are just sort of sallying forth into pop music to see what interesting things we can find and not really committed to uh, a long-term relationship.
4: Yeah, Yeah, you know, I guess when when I go to pop music, like, I just want something, like, I I'm going to it and i'm saying okay i don't give a shit if there's no depth and if you're clearly pandering to an audience if you just make it super catchy uh i'll i'll say okay fine good job we we had a a, a fair transaction here but uh if you
3: fail that then i'm i'm not interested anymore so right. that's what happened to me here word um okay I, I think we uh, I think we analyzed the shit out of this song. <laughs> Thanks to uh, the better Taylor uh, for chiming in. Absolutely, um, and uh,
4: <laughs> yeah, we should figure out other ways for people to send us uh, uh, guest
3: uh, uh, appearances uh, uh, asynchronously. I, like that. I will say, if you're going to send us a, a two minute uh, guest appearance, I really want a more like Peter Griffith. Peter Griffin, like, grind my gears segment where yeah, yeah. you're real grumpy. I want,
4: I want pithy evisceration yes. or just,
3: like, ecstatic
4: praise. Um, but uh, uh, Taylor um, was too thoughtful, too honest, too intelligent for
3: this segment. Yeah, those are not qualities <laughs> that describe this podcast. <laughs>
4: <laughs> anyway, um, okay, let's move on to uh, – um, the most similar artist to Taylor Swift William Patrick Corgan Mm. in his song Aeronaut it's
2: almost down the middle the world survives look outside the air's alive Call it ether-elemental Dark nights One magic heart to seize One little mind to ease up One silver drum that beats ooh, This mountain's gone from us If I'm leaving you without return, I'll snap and i Mourn with me. Love wants you mourn with me. Love wants you, you mourn with me.
3: Yes, thank you, uh, Willie P. Tibali. <laughs> um.
2: uh,
4: <laughs> um, that's like my favorite thing to call him. That is a, uh, I that realize is, that's like a 10-year-old internet joke, but
3: <laughs> yeah, that is a deep uh message board cut. I love it. Um Paul, I, I want to get your take on this. Uh I want to okay. get your take on this first, but I want to frame okay. I want to frame the conversation by saying okay. to me what we're really deciding is you know, Billy is trapped in sort of like a hellscape uh, of his own anxieties and neuroses and has been since, like, the Pumpkins broke up, his conflicting desire to be a, a respected artist or a huge rock star or a spiritual mm-hmm. guru or not give a fuck about any of that. And as he he suffers under these layers, Rick Rubin has come in a sort of glowing helicopter of <laughs> respect, and uh, you know his own super guru powers. Yeah, and he's coming down, and he's pulling Billy out. And what we're trying to decide is: did he, did he, did he pull him out in time, or did he just pull out the burnt corpse of the Billy that was?
4: <laughs> yeah. So of course, Rick Rubin, uh, probably the most famous thing he's done in the past two decades was, uh, Johnny Cash's stripped down covers record, um, which produced Johnny Cash's version of Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, which is legitimately great. Um, uh, and so I can see why he would be, uh, an interesting move for other aging white guy songwriters. Um, so, uh, of course, it's funny that it, <laughs> Billy Corgan was young when that happened, and now here we are still with Rick Rubin again. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, and Billy Corgan is old now. Um, but, uh, you know, so I haven't listened to any new Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins music since Oceania, or, or yeah, since Zeitgeist, I don't think. Yeah. Um, after Zeitgeist was a complete piece of shit, I pretty much... Um, Uh, said, well, there's no reason for me to sully my appreciation for the pumpkins any further. Um, But you, uh, suggesting we listen to this, um, I I only had minimal internal resistance to overcome. And I got to say, at first, I was like, wow, Billy, that's a lot of vibrato you're putting uh, on your vocal performances nowadays, Um, which it is. But uh, shit, man, this really grew on me. After about the second listen, I started to be like, this is... This is a really good song. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's got the classic Billy like lyrics that don't make any literal sense. So you have to just sort of like try to turn your uh, logic parsing brain off and just sort of feel the vibes of what he's talking about. Um, but uh, the chorus, "Lover, won't you mourn with me?" is a great line, um, uh, especially for those of us who are aging a little bit. Uh, and um, so I really appreciated that The the chord progression is interesting I haven't looked up the uh, score for it But it feels like the single note he plays uh, Leading into the repetition of the chord uh, riff Is uh, out of the key of the rest of them um but whether or not it is it's delightfully like sort of just on the border of sounding wrong and sounding right at the same time mm-hmm. um so and then the strings managed to be uh heartfelt but not maudlin which is um a tough act to pull off and one that Billy himself has failed at before if you ask me mm-hmm. uh so um uh put all that together with a a fairly you know, maybe it's not the greatest melody Billy has ever written for his vocals, but it's a good one. It's uh, it stands with some of his previous work, so uh, I I kind of really like the song. It's uh, it's got me filled with hope that maybe Billy uh, has something left in the tank, and that um, I don't know if Rick Rubin made it happen, but he didn't fuck it up. Yeah. Um, whoever did the strings did a good job. Um, and, uh, uh, if Billy could just be happy sort of being this, like, Randy Newman on acid thing he's doing here, like, that's great with me.
3: Yeah, Randy Newman on acid, I love that. Um, so you see, you see Billy coming out of the, the burning building, he's, he's, he's giving the thumbs up.
2: Rick yeah, he's, uh. the safe, safety safety. You safety. Know,
4: you know, he's, he's probably gonna
3: lose a leg.
2: Yeah.
4: But, um, but he's, he's still around, you know.
3: Um, yeah, uh. So, um, uh, two two notes on, on mm-hmm. uh, first. I think I think you might be underestimating the amount of stuck stuff Rick Rubin does. Uh, I know.
4: Yeah. Okay. Things that people have heard of is what I meant by. I that. mean, he, I realize Rick Rubin has been doing I mean,
3: shit. He controversially worked with Adele and. He, uh, you know, has won Grammys all throughout the 2000s. He worked with sure. Justin Timberlake and blah blah blah. Okay, things, less famous things I would
4: things I would have paid attention to. Right I
3: there, guess. we go. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, and uh, it's so funny that you talk you bring out the word, uh, talk about the chorus that has that word uh-huh. uh, "lover" in it. It's actually uh-huh. currently a joke on the um, the. Smashing Pumpkins message boards that I still frequent, um, mm-hmm. that even before this, that every single song Billy releases now has prominently features the word "lover," and so when <laughs> it was like the like when he said it like a dozen times in this song, it was like <laughs> uh, you know a, a, a huge hit uh, with the like forty people who like still just kind of sit around and troll each other on uh, the you know message what message board. <laughs>
4: I bet he knew and he did that on purpose. It's
1: possible. Like,
4: especially because it's an invocation of the lover. Like It's like he's telling his big fans, like, hey, guys, won't you mourn the world as we age with me?
3: It is the kind of weird joke that Billy would think was like... Absolutely. So, ...would say was funny, and then if you laughed at would like glower and walk off
4: (laughs) absolutely that's exactly what would happen (laughs) um
3: so um i like i mean i i definitely agree with you i mean i think this song it has that level it has that beauty that Mm -hmm. signals a good billy song like even from the first good pumpkin songs all the way through you know swan and a few things beyond you know it's it's you know there's probably few more words for it. you know, it's like it's like gorgeous it's like dark and haunted it's you know mm-hmm. you, it's it's really um has this yeah it's a certain flavor of emo and it yeah was like, sad
4: and beautiful yeah you know yeah and, and knowing about all that
3: yeah um uh and you know i i think it's it's weird actually by the, the first time i listened to it i was maybe a little i don't know put off by Mm-hmm. some of the over top i mean you know he still sings like an idiot he's been singing like an idiot for a decade um, Yeah, he has some weird ooze in this uh that i don't which really- i like
4: now i agree they're they're sort of put on but and and like you said you know just that vibrato it's just like uh that's like a new thing for him that is way over the top but still
3: kind of works yeah and I'm, i think i went from being like a little bored by it at first to like realizing mm-hmm. that it was just more of like a a background experience it was like a, a you mm-hmm. know was, you didn't want to like you don't want to like focus on it you kind of want to just let it flow and it is really mm-hmm. beautiful it's uplifting um mm-hmm. and the simplicity saves it i mean and supposedly that's about him handing it off to a, you know a producer he actually trusts yeah number 1 who i mean he says that he just kind of recorded the music and said you you know Rick you finished this you know don't let me do it because, you know, he's worked with some big producers in this post pumpkins phase before, but it's still all about like making a huge rocks album. And it's still like bared all these sparks of like Billy's like insane overproduction. Yeah. Um, So to to just have (laughs) voice piano strings uh, is really, it's a nice change and none of them are super corny. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, I think you're you're right back. You're at that point where you want to be with you know 50 year old Billy Corgan, uh, where he's still writing very good songs that are in his style and he's singing them. Uh, you know, they're 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 coming through. There's not a bunch of bullshit on top of them. You know, you just get new Billy Corgan songs and you can. Uh, sit back as a longtime fan and enjoy them.
4: Yeah, that would be a really wonderful thing. Is if Billy, you know, that's what I hoped for after after Machina's. That Billy would sort of just like go be his own guy and and do his own weird shit. But instead, he. Wanted to be a big rock star again, and just was incapable of, of doing it in an environment where there are no big rock stars. Certainly not old ones.
3: It's like he's in a bad relationship, like with himself, and everyone could exactly. see it. And they were like, "When are you going to get out of this relationship with like 1997 Zero shirt Billy? He's like really bad for
4: you." It's <laughs> perfectly put. Um, um, yeah, and I mean, yeah. I, you
3: know, I actually liked I liked his uh, two thousand five solo album. Uh, the future
4: I, I listened to it like once back then, and I haven't since. I should go back. Oh yeah, you're
3: you're missing out. I mean, he. Um, it's interesting. It's really interesting to see what he thought of as electronic music then, and how he like only <laughs> recorded like one. He like recorded like one guitar take over the entire thing, and it's got this yeah. industrial feel to it that's I think has held up better um, than you would think. And of course, the song again, I feel like. In contrast to a lot of the shite he's written as, like, the new Pumpkins albums, I think with The Future Embrace, he wrote a lot of really good songs. Okay, Because he wasn't worried about playing them. He knew he wasn't going to play them in a fucking stadium in front of 50,000 people.
4: Well, that's fair and believable. I mean, Zwan had some good songs, most of which weren't on the Zwan album. Yeah, but um, <laughs> we, we will someday.
3: Maybe that'll be our two-year episode is the Zwan episode. <laughs> yeah,
4: we'll do we'll do our fa- we'll do a, a draft of our favorite unreleased Zwan songs. Yes, I could I could get to ten
3: <laughs> easily. <laughs>
4: no question, the most dickheaded podcast topic we could do. Yes. but we will do it. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I wanted to say uh, uh, I'm I'm excited that we both like this because yes. uh, as any pumpkins fan knows, the least interesting pumpkin songs are the singles. So mm-hmm. there's a slight chance that you know we'll have that pattern continue and the rest of the album will be like like the not three minute verse chorus verse uh, version of this sort of aesthetic and it'll be
3: really cool stripped down uh, Billy's songs. Yeah. We can only hope. Well, Billy is famous for trying to pick uh, fuck you singles. and uh, Yes. uh, You know, I I agree. Um, And this, uh, it compared well um, to other, to like classic Smashing Pumpkins piano-driven songs. Uh, Yeah. I made you dig out uh, Sutton Stars, a Mm -hmm. story-heavy demo from the Machina age. um, Yes. uh, Which, although it's a bit... Limited by its undeveloped angsty lyrics, uh, the minimalism of that really works, and I was surprised. Uh, it was actually
2: a
4: really good vocal performance in that song yes. too. Like he, he really like commits to it in a way that he probably can't anymore. Right. But um, <laughs> and even then, you know, it's rare to get a full voice billy song over over light instrumentation like that that actually works yes and it's good
3: well yeah Bill, full yeah 2000 billy could still sing like a motherfucker yeah. that's for sure <laughs> um and that <laughs> that's
4: a that's a very niche opinion that billy corgan could ever sing yes but <laughs> oh yes i'll go to my grave saying that um i i agree he was an effective vocalist yeah. uh in his way <laughs> yeah
3: um and you know i think that there's maybe in that comparison like if I have a criticism for this song, uh, it's that when you look at something like Soot and Stars, which is just like a, a demo uh, from two thousand, um, there's still a really clear idea there, and mm-hmm. it might be a less, slightly less of a song. But like Aeronaut, even if it is more, you know, fully developed, it's like it's murkier, you mm-hmm. know. And and I I do think that there's maybe a limit there like all these elements are very kind of pretty and moving but uh Mm -hmm. there's a certain point where you can't like see any deeper uh yeah and that you know maybe it was always an illusion with the pumpkins but uh certainly here it's even uh more opaque how many (laughs) how many uh sort of different ways can i say murky (laughs)
4: no that's fair i mean yeah with are you talking about the lyrical content here yeah Um, the
3: lyrical content and in particular and just yeah maybe just a, a vibe it's the vibe yeah
4: yeah i mean so that's what you have to do with with the billy experience is sort of get the vibe he's going for with each song because like like this mountain was born from us i i i can't parse the sort of like real life situation that that applies to yeah but i can sort of get the feeling if i don't worry about that too much no i mean yeah i mean
3: his his um his uh wife and uh or rather baby mama and son are on the cover of the uh single so maybe they
4: gave birth to gregor clegane Clegane, and that's that's the joke oh sorry (laughs) Sorry.
3: Awful joke. Really bad. Um, <laughs> uh, terrible. So many things just wrong with that. Um, yeah. And uh, um, uh, final point everyone should know, Paul and I both uh, think the door B-side once in a while uh, is an all-time Pumpkins classic.
4: Yeah. And you called it the only good Adore B-side, which I think that's a competition of three B-sides, not counting remixes. Yes. Am I correct about you that? You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, Zarina is also good, is my opinion, but it is definitely the best James, B-side.
3: James E. Ha's Summer is also good. All three of them are good. Uh, I,
4: ref- I can't. I, I can't make myself say that James Ehaw songs are good. Like none of them are very oh, good. Oh man,
3: that's another good sorry. podcast. <laughs> the
4: best James Ehaw songs. Um Blue
3: Blue Away <laughs> is the only song I will say oh in any context is good.
4: Oh my god, even that is not very
3: good. Uh, that's you're just wrong. You're wrong.
4: I'm I'm just annoyed
3: when that chorus gets stuck in my head. Oh well there we go, um, that's fair. Um yeah. Okay, so Aeronaut, is there anything that we missed about it. Um,
4: No, it's, it's not a terribly complex song. It's just, you know, it's when you're, when you're down to three musical elements and you're not like reinventing the musical scale uh, it's down to like, can you evoke the sort of uh, the sort of emotions you're going for? And he effectively creates a sort of melancholy backwards looking. Yeah melancholy backwards looking i don't want to say nostalgia because it's not really that but uh mono no aware uh, is actually the phrase uh are you familiar with that jim i'm not ah that's this is a great one uh so the japanese um have a lot of really great phrases for really specific emotions or states of mind or whatever right and this one mono no aware means Uh, it's translated often as like an awareness of the passing of things Um, so Mm. just like the the feeling that everything is changing and it's going away and you can it may be good or better in the future even but you can never get the old good stuff back right and that's totally what this song gives me um And, uh, you know, it's effective because it's much more, it's much better at evoking that sense than what I just said with my stupid voice. Um, so good job, Billy Corgan.
3: Yeah. That's, and I think that could describe a lot of pumpkin songs. I mean, that probably muzzle is a great example of that feeling at, at times. Um, yeah, 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 totally. Um, Japanese sayings and the songs that go with them I'd do that podcast oh my god totally yeah um, yes yes <laughs> yes um, well as usual we've uh, planned our next podcast uh, mm-hmm. during the podcast and as usual we said this will be a short one and then talked for a fucking hour yeah uh, uh, you know we've, we've been cutting down in general we appreciate your time
4: yeah absolutely uh, thank you Jim Anderson and all of our uh, other four fans um, we really appreciate all the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly um truly jim a wonderful email i love this email um and uh uh you know um just to remind everybody you can get at us uh, at savage at gmail.com just like mr anderson um mr and anderson exactly uh there's also twitter at savage pod uh we have an instagram we don't use so don't go there um and then itunes uh rate review subscribe all that shit because it's good for us um so thanks everybody yeah
3: and uh thanks thanks once more to t-bone for his two minutes of bliss
4: Taylor, your royalty check is in the mail. The tower,
3: yes. The um, okay, everybody. You saw what you made us go do. In the
1: Good early <laughs> um, earlier papyruses, gaze into the irises of infinite asiruses, hieroglyphical, visual style, habitual, scriptural, um, kick verses, verses, ghosts, hovering above them, cold stuttering, skips in the tape, vision a of Lega. Cold cloud fields shrouded and secluded upon a winding road. <laughs> Nature and existence are the same thing, basically. Swerve through the curves amazingly. Paint me like a surgical portrait of your soul's wild. Energy wild. That's beautiful. Bless. Have a nice dream. Peace Allah. Aztec yoga. Kool-Aid. Allah. Woo-woo. Ja Rasta. Woo.